0: Let's take our Bibles and go over to James chapter one. We just have one verse that we're unpacking today, kind of going at a snail's pace through the book of James. It's that kind of book that there's so much in this verse. It warrants a full message today. Well, you heard Elta talk about running marathons. Uh, I've never run a marathon. I don't wanna run a marathon. I think people who run marathon, I love Elta, but they're crazy, like that 26 miles, like just for fun. What I do love to do every once in a while is I'll do a 5K or I've actually done a few triathlons here or there. And you know, those events for me are more manageable. I had knee surgeries, uh, two of them uh, last year, so I haven't been able to reengage, on my calendar and wasn't able to do it kind of a disappointment in 2020 one of a hundred disappointments in 2020 you know what i'm saying so i can't wait for 2025 to be here like if we could just fast forward that would be awesome and uh, to be there but those uh, those races have sort of a, a unique dynamic to them when i participate in them first and foremost is there's always this moment as i'm kind of in the middle of that race that i find myself asking this question why am i doing this Or my body is saying, you didn't train hard enough. Or someone blows by me on a bike and they don't look like they're in shape. And I think, what, how did that happen? Or like, I didn't train hard enough. Or why are you so slow? That's one thing that happens. Here's the other thing that happens. Uh, Somewhere in the middle of the run, I realize that I'm kind of at my max pace and there's a temptation to go faster. And I have to remind myself, no, just stay at this pace. Just stay right here. Don't go faster, don't go slower. Just stay right here. And the third moment that's a really kind of unique, actually my favorite moment, is about a quarter mile out, when the race is just about done, before I can see the finish line, I can hear the finish line. I can hear the music that's starting to be played. I can hear the announcer announcing all the people who are way ahead of me, announcing their names. I can hear the, the, the faint sound of the applause of the crowd that's gathered on that finish line. And And I imagine in my mind's eye that big inflatable finish arch that says finish on it as a way to motivate myself for that last quarter mile. I want you to know that the Bible is full of finish line kind of moments. Texts that are designed to help you, help me, as we're running the race of our Christian life to finish strong and to follow Jesus faithfully. James chapter one and verse 12 is one of those texts. Another one is 2 Timothy chapter four where the Apostle Paul at the end of his life said this, "'I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, "'I have kept the faith. "'Henceforth there is laid up for me "'a crown of righteousness, "'which the Lord, the righteous judge, "'will award me on that day, and not only to me, "'but also to all who have loved his appearing.'" It was the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. James 1 and verse 12 is that kind of text. It's the kind of passage that's designed to help you and me to be reminded what we're really living for. And when we're in a long endurance run, when we're facing hardships or difficulties, there are times that we need to be reminded about the why behind the what. Our text today highlights two blessings of remaining steadfast. Blessing number one, is divine approval, knowing that God has set his favor upon you and his grace over you. And the second thing, not only divine approval, but the second thing is striving towards eternal rest, knowing that this struggle, this battle, these issues that we're facing, they're not going to be forever. And so those two things become sort of the foundation underneath how we remain steadfast in the midst of trial and difficulty. And so I hope this message today will be an encouragement to you as a follower of Jesus for what it means to continue to faithfully follow him just this next week. If you're not yet a Christian, I hope to be able to show you the way in which a relationship with Jesus changes the foundation of a person's life such that that's where they go when it feels as though everything else has fallen apart. Well, let's take a look at this text. James chapter 1 and verse 12 helps us to see, first and foremost, the blessing and the value of divine approval. By this, I mean the kind of approval that can only come from the Lord, the kind of approval that comes from what God thinks of us, from what he knows to be true, and from what he says about the evaluation of our lives. I'm not talking here about what other people think of you. I'm not even talking about what you think of you or the perception of what you want people to think of you. I'm talking about hard stop, what God really knows to be true. And what James argues in this text is that there is a divine approval offered as both a command in verses three and four, and now in verse 12, a commendation. He highlights this divine approval as a way to motivate Christians to follow faithfully. There's three words in the text that we need to unpack. Verse 12 says this, blessed is the man, that's one word, who remains steadfast, that's another word, under trial. Third, for when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life. So there's three words or phrases that we need to unpack. The word blessed, the word remains steadfast, and the phrase, or the words, stood the test. So first, remains steadfast. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Now, if you've been tracking with us in our study of James, that word steadfast should not be unfamiliar. This is sort of the bookend, or when you're studying the Bible, it could be called an inclusio. It's it's the back end of a thought that James is having. And the front end of it was in verses three and four when he says, look at your Bibles, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That was verse three. And I argued that that word means to endure or withstand, or to bear up under something. It's the idea of waiting expectantly or leaning into the wave that's coming. Other translations render the word as to persevere or to endure. So in in verses 3 and 4, we learn that steadfastness is something that is forged through testing. It's something that we should allow to happen. Verse 4 says that. It says, let steadfastness have its full effect so what is happening here is james is commanding christians to remain steadfast to lean in not away to endure and persevere so he's commanding it but in verse 12 he's commending it he's commanding it in verse 3 and 4 do this in verse 12 he's saying celebrate that this is what god by his grace creates in you He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. In other words, remaining faithful under trial should be seen not just something that the Christian does, but also as something that the Christian loves. It's one thing to do steadfastness. It's another to love steadfastness. It's, it's one thing to say, I've gotta remain faithful. It's another to say, I love faithfulness. You see, one of the challenges that we face when a time of trial or testing comes is the simple fact that there are some situations that you're not able to fix. You can't make it stop, and you don't know how you're gonna get beyond it. Seasons that are like that, that are difficult, are, uniquely challenging because they don't resolve quickly. Back in May, I talked about anxiety and worry, and I said in that, one of those sermons that anxiety or worry is what fixers do when fixers can't fix. The challenge now in September is some of us fixers are plum exhausted because we try every day to fix something that's not fixable. And what do you do? What do you do when there's no immediate solution? What do you do when it's so layered and complicated and and the situation is always changing in front of you? Sometimes the singular goal in the middle of a difficult situation is is the faith commitment not to fix, it's just not to quit. It's the faith commitment to stay in the battle. Sometimes faithfulness simply looks like I'm just going to keep going and I'm not gonna walk away. Parents, those of you who have young children, when your kids get older and there are moments when your parenting doesn't produce the effect that you want, when you think, if I just read this book or I just do this or I just think about this and X plus Y isn't, doesn't equal Z, there are some times that the best thing that parents can do is just simply to stay being parents who aren't going to quit or give in. Because there's a lot of sinful words that come out of quitters' mouths, if you know what I mean, where people are like, I'm all done. And as a result, they talk like they're all done in their frustration and in their anger. And maybe you found yourself over the last number of weeks or months, even as a follower of Jesus, acting like that. And what? James is commending is this simple reality that the command is not just to remain steadfast, but sometimes success doesn't look like solving it, success just looks like I'm in it, and I'm embracing the mess, and I'm just gonna stay in the middle of this reality even though it's exceptionally challenging. Divine approval looks like remaining steadfast Secondly, it also looks like standing the test. Look again at verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test. That phrase, stood the test, is a singular Greek word. It's important. It's a word, dokimos. It means to be proven. It means to be tested. It means to be examined. And it means to be affirmed. James used the same word in verse three when he says this, for you know that the testing, there it is, of your faith produces steadfastness. So divine approval, God's grace on us, not only helps us to value steadfastness so that one of your goals for this week may be, how was your day today? Well, I didn't quit. All right, that could sound so depressing, but from James' standpoint, that's success. I didn't give up. I didn't throw in the towel. I didn't walk away. I stayed in the fight, and even though it's bloody and even though it doesn't look like I won a whole lot, at least I stayed in the fight. That's what James is commending. And then he says, those who have stood the test, meaning that part of the value of what God is doing in us and through us is that he's proving what kind of people we really are. One of the joys of my life as a now a little bit older pastor is to help train and teach younger pastors how to preach and to preach effectively. But there's one thing that I can't teach a young preacher how to do. I can't teach him how to preach like a broken man. I can't. And I'm telling you, I can hear a different sermon on the same text with the same outline delivered in a very different way with a different orientation because a person has experienced brokenness and a person who has not experienced brokenness. Classroom sermons preached without a lot of suffering are true and biblical and right, and they can be helpful. But there is a different kind of sermon that is preached with a man who knows how to bleed The text here is telling us that there's something that God wants to do in all of our lives, and that is to verify and prove how real and true he is and how real and true we are. You see, trials and testing validate our commitment to follow Jesus faithfully. Let me just be blunt. It was one thing to say you were a follower of Jesus in 2019. It's another thing to be a faithful follower of Jesus in 2020. There were these kind of challenges in 2019. There are a number of new challenges in 2020. And rather than looking at 2020 through this lens of, oh man, I can't wait to get through it, which I understand we all feel that at some level, there also needs to be a perspective of this is game time. This is a moment to demonstrate what I really believe and if it really works. And what James is doing is commending steadfastness. He's commending this approval reality in terms of who the person is and what God thinks of them. This this word is used throughout the New Testament. It's used in 2 Timothy chapter two when Paul says to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, rightly handling the word of truth. Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter one when he affirms how trials prove the genuineness of our faith. Trials prove this stuff actually works. I really believe this. My anchor has held in the midst of the storm. And in fact, it's interesting, Paul uses the same word about how the genuineness of people's maturity would be proven in the midst of controversy when he wrote to the church at Corinth. Take your Bible. I want to show you this text because it's really important. It's instructive especially where we are as a culture, where we are personally, and even where we are to be candid with you as a church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, super talented church, wealthy church, lots of gifts, lots of horsepower, lots of problems. And Paul writes this to them in 1 Corinthians 11, And verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part. Why does he say that? He's like, because I know you. I know you as a church. I know what you're like. I love you, but I know you. And then he says, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are dokimas, those who are genuine among you may be recognized. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying in the midst of all of the controversies that are going on in the context of the church at Corinth, he doesn't even say who's right or who's wrong, but what he's saying is these controversies are a moment for you to prove what kind of people you are. John Bloom in an article in desiringgod.org writes this, the church in Corinth was so divided that you might say it was diced. There were divisions over which apostle was superior. Sexual morality, lawsuits, marriage, eating meat, head coverings for women, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of believers, and I'm probably missing some. And then Bloom writes this, factions reveal hearts. So in our disagreements and divisions, Paul wants us to measure our motives, our words, and our actions by the gauge of chapter 13, the chapter that talks about love. The less they look or sound like biblically defined love, the more concerned he wants us to be about our genuineness. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that hard circumstances press us to live for divine approval. Hard circumstances cause us to think through. What does God want me to say right now? What does God want my posture to be? Now, what do I want my posture to be? God knows my heart. What does He he want my words to be like in this moment? First Corinthians thirteen says, "Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things." Here's a question for you: Is that verse more important on Valentine's Day or when you're ticked off with your friend? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Is that a text that only applies when you have the feelsies for somebody or is that when you are just really mad at them? (laughs) The fact of the matter is, is that this text is calling us to realize and remember that testing is good. COVID-19, The various controversies swirling around our culture and even within our church are a test. And you know what I'm finding? I'm finding that I don't like the test. Not because of how hard it is, and it is hard. I don't like the test because of what I'm seeing about me. I'm disturbed at the way in which when my beaker is bumped at what surfaces, and when I hear this text, my heart says, oh, Jesus, help me pass this test. I'm burdened by what I see in evangelicalism across the country. I'm burdened what I see even in the context of our own church. I don't know sometimes who's right and who's wrong. And my only solution is to take all of that to the feet of Jesus and just say, Lord, you're the one who knows hearts. You know my heart better than I know it. And at the end of the day, you not only command me to be steadfast, you commend it. And so my goal, your goal, our goal, Christianity's goal across the board needs to be one day, we're all gonna stand before Jesus. We're gonna have to give an account for every heart condition, every hurtful word, every ounce of gossip or slander we uttered. Every moment that we jumped the fence on someone's motivation and we knew what we knew when we didn't know a thing. And what James is saying is steadfastness and trials mingle together in order to create a moment where we have the opportunity to prove if our Christianity is legit. And trials create that opportunity So one of the things that I'm trying to embrace during this season is just the fact that desperation and brokenness are part of the good fruits of divine testing. Rather than pushing desperation and brokenness away, I want to embrace it, or think of it this way. Part of the test is to embrace the mess. (laughs) Just say, what a mess! Jesus, help me. Remaining faithful through the test is the essence of the test. Solving the test, fixing the test, ending the test, understanding the test, studying the test so you don't have to have the test ever again. That's not all part of the test. The test is whether or not you're simply going to remain faithful. And then James says this, blessed. Blessed, he says, back to James chapter 1, is the man who perseveres under trial. That word blessed, if we had time to unpack it, I could show you in the book of Psalms how the book of Psalms opens with blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scoffers. I could show you Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or the Apostle Paul who says in Romans chapter 4, blessed is he who whose lawless deeds are forgiven. What does it mean to be blessed? It means that you receive and live upon the grace of God. It means that God helps you. It means that God affirms you. It means that God loves you. It means that church over the finish line of the Christian life is not the word finished, it is approved and loved. James points us to this divine affirmation as a primary means of motivation, namely that the calling of the Christian life is to live in light of what God thinks of us, to live for his approval, and to pursue what glorifies him. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we, do you, do I live in light of the approval of God or the approval of man. Some of you are exhausted because you are trying to live in light of what everybody thinks of you and it just is going to crush you. And instead, we have to live under the freedom of who you are in Christ. Do you live for divine approval such that it changes how you talk or what you think about or even how you sleep? Do you realize, as a friend of mine says, that the scoreboard is in heaven and that there's coming a day, the judgment seat of Christ, where our lives as Christians will have to give an account and we'll stand before the King of Kings and there will be no arguing. You may be an excellent debater, but it won't matter. Jesus already knows the case. You won't be able to say, but, 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 Jesus be like, yeah, I I knew about that before you even said that. A friend of mine tweeted over the weekend, perhaps the 30 minutes of silence in the book of Revelation is in order so we can go back and quickly delete our social media accounts before we see Jesus face to face. (laughs) Probably not. You get the point. Enduring through trials and being steadfast involves thinking about divine approval. What does God think of me? And what does that mean? Secondly, quickly, James says this in verse 12. When he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So what does he promise him? He promises us the crown of life. This is not like some regal crown. This is more like the award that you receive after completing a marathon or a race. It's the kind of laurel that the Apostle Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, when he talked about every athlete who competes does it for an imperishable crown, but we, for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. It's what John talks about in Revelation chapter two, when he calls people to be faithful unto death, this is, this is from Jesus, and I will give you the crown of life. It is the promise, Christian, that there's coming a day when our faith will be sight, there will be no more sorrow or sighing, and Jesus will make everything right. The short-term losses, the moments when you had to bite your tongue the times that you did what was right and it didn't pay off, all of that, Jesus is gonna say, I know, I saw it, and I was so proud of you. And those moments when you spoke and you shouldn't have, and those moments when you blew it and you knew it, he's not going to get after you, but instead, that's why I died for you. One of my strategies in this season is about every week or every other week, I have a phone call scheduled with a friend just to talk and hear how they're doing and have someone pray with me. It's been enormously helpful. This week, I had a call with a friend and he did something that was just so simple and so helpful. He said, Mark, I wanna remind you about the gospel. And I was like, bro, I know the gospel. I mean, come on. He spoke the gospel over me and it was so helpful. And then he said, it won't be long, brother. It won't be long. Meaning this is not gonna last forever and we're looking for a future kingdom. So can I just do for you what he did for me? Can I remind you, Christian, that Jesus died for you? Can I remind you that at your worst, Jesus is at his best? Can I remind you that sealed over your heart is this eternal truth, God is for you and not against you? Can I remind you that as far as the east or from the west, so far your sins have been separated from you because Jesus came into the world to save sinners and big ones like you and me so that he could rescue you, not just from condemnation in hell, but from uncertainty as to where your future lies? Could I remind you that at the end of the day, all of your sins, everything you've ever done and everything you will ever do is all covered by the shed blood of Jesus and that over you is this wonderful eternal promise that Jesus knows who are his and no one can take him out of his hand. Not even you. If he loves you and set his seal upon you, he bought you and purchased you and made you his child, and not even your weakness or your fear or your doubt or your despair can separate you from the love of Christ. The enemy can't touch you because Jesus has got you. And it won't be long. It won't be long until we're home. It won't be long until we see him face to face. And on that day, there'll be no debate, no question. All the issues as to who was right and who was wrong will be settled. What was true and what isn't. There'll be no more fake news or conspiracies. There'll be no more doubts or wondering. It'll all be known. Jesus will silence the world and say, let me tell you what's really going on. I'm king of everything. And when he promises the crown of life, he promises rest for those who are weary. There's coming a day when our faith will be sight. There's coming a day when we'll see him in all of his glory. And so what do we do in the meantime? We remind one another about these truths. I wanna remind you, read your Bible so that you'll love Jesus. Spend time in prayer so that you'll love Jesus. Make worship, either in the room or online, a priority so that you'll love Jesus. Sing about him, talk about him, study him, think about him. Let your words reflect him. Let your actions represent him. Let your generosity emulate him. Let everything you do be marked by the aroma of the risen Christ. Do everything, everything in remembrance of him. Remaining steadfast through trial means embracing not just the command of steadfastness, but the beauty of what steadfastness entails when you know who Jesus is. Friend, you may be listening today, you don't know Christ. Oh, I pray that today would be a day that you would be so captivated by what I'm sharing that you would wanna lean in and say, tell me more, tell me more. I wanna know, what, what is that thing underneath your life? I don't have it, I don't understand it, and I want it. and the Spirit of God may today may be drawing you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you're a Christian, oh dear friend, live your life in such a way, not that you can earn God's approval, you already have his approval, live your life in light of the fact that he approves of you and out of the overflow of your love for him, how he set his affection on you, let Jesus's life live through you so that other people can see it and God could be glorified and the purpose of your life could be complete because people see Jesus in you. That was God's plan from the very beginning. In a race, when you cross the finish line, there's a really fun moment People are all gathered, they're eating bananas and drinking Gatorade. They're small little pockets of people and they're talking, they're celebrating that that's over. They talk about the challenges of the race and there's a beautiful community sense that's in the air. In that moment, the race is finished and the party's begun. And what a day it will be when the race is finished and the party begins. Until then, we have little glimpses of that party. It's corporate worship, it's little small groups and it's the Lord's table. So let me invite you to take the elements and let me pray for us as we get a foretaste of a future party. Oh Father, we pray that you would use now the receiving of these elements as a confirmation of truths that we hold dear. Lord, let this be a moment not just to command steadfastness, but to commend it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.